that is kind of their nest egg for the rest of their life and to pass down to their family and so forth. Um, so I, that's the biggest trade-off. It's just like, where do you want to put your capital and, and how long do you want to have it tied up for? You're listening to Ice Cream with Investors, a podcast that is dedicated to teaching you how to better invest your money so that you can live a more intentional life. I'm your host, Matt Four, and it is my goal to teach and empower you to remove the roadblocks to your financial success. All right, Allie, welcome to the show. Hey, Matt, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Well, you like to know we start off with the difficult questions here. What's your favorite ice cream? My favorite ice cream by far is mint chocolate chip. It's refreshing, but then you have a little sweetness and crunch in there. Uh, Kind of has it all. (laughs) So our listeners know that is the answer I would give to this question because my father said- Oh, look at those twins. (laughs) Exactly. He said, you should always order mint chocolate chip because no one likes mint chocolate chip, so no one will ever ask you to eat their ice cream. Oh, really? I love it so much. I think your dad is wrong. (laughs) I agree with that. And you have good breath, which, you know, everybody's always worried about having bad breath. So that's always good. Yeah, exactly. Great for an ice cream Uh, date. (laughs) There you go. There you go. Well, tell our listeners, what's the scoop? What do you do today? Oh, gosh. So I have been spending my days um, helping build uh, Getaway, which we help uh, folks find and finance um, investment properties. Um, and really grow their portfolios so that they can someday retire and live off that passive income. Love it. Well, you align with the show very well. And before we get into Getaway, take us back. Where did your real estate journey begin? Yeah, so I um, actually started my career in you know the tech side of the house. Um, I actually joined Uber relatively early on before we saw the rise and fall of Uber. Um, but during that time i had always thought you know i want to somehow integrate you know real estate and technology into my career um because ever since i was a little kid i've been obsessed with residential real estate um and so thought like how can i do this and at the time this whole concept of prop tech companies were popping up um and so i saw that happening like okay well how do I get a job there? And so there was actually an opportunity to join Uber's uh, corporate real estate team. Um, I didn't know anything at the time about what, what corporate real estate meant, but I took oh, took up that opportunity and joined the team, learned a lot about office space, retail and industrial, which was very interesting. You wouldn't think of that as like a, a corporation to have all three, but they did. Um, and then I was able to parlay that into my first, you know, real experience at a quote unquote prop tech company when I joined Bungla. Got it. I'm always interested in people that do real estate at big corporations. Talk us through what was that experience like? Obviously you, you didn't come from a real estate background. Did you learn on the fly? Were there mentorship programs? Were you doing a specific role with inside the real estate or like talk us through that experience? Yeah, I mean, it was very much learn as you go. I had great managers um, that threw me into a lot of different stuff. It was really interesting. So Uber at the time had over a million square feet of real estate globally, um, which is, that's a lot. Um, And so there's a lot of management of, you know, just a lot of moving pieces when it comes to that. And so what I learned relatively quickly is a lot of the corporate real estate function 
is very much project managing um, more than anything else, which is so, you know, transferable from other roles that I'd had in the past. Um, and it was an interesting time too, where the company was going from a very regionalized model to a centralized model. So then it's like, okay, well, what do you do with all these leases, all of these fit outs that we've spent, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on that are no longer needed because there's no team in Columbus, Ohio anymore. They're actually now all in Chicago. Um, so it was, it was a really interesting experience, a lot of moving of puzzle pieces, um, and I think it did exactly what I needed it to do is like get me into a company where, you know, my interests are more aligned. Um, but I don't know if I would, would go back to that space. Yeah. Yeah. Well, looking back on that time, is there one thing that stood out to you from a learning aspect that you got from that job? Oh gosh. I think just in general, uh, the culture at Uber was like very much execution based. Like let's just, run through walls, make stuff happen. Um, you know, you don't need to wait for all to, for it to be perfect. It's like start making progress and so forth. And that's something I've brought into every, you know, role and now into getaway, um, from that experience specifically. Yeah, we were talking beforehand. Getaway is very much in startup mode, trying to figure yeah. it out, you know, um, putting processes and procedures around all of that. So I want to dig into that, but before we get there, give us the high level. What does Getaway do? And then uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, so you can think of Getaway as kind of your co-investor in a box a bit. Um, so we help real estate entrepreneurs. So think, you know, folks that are really trying to grow their portfolio or individual investors, um, find, finance, and manage uh, new investment properties in their portfolio. So what does that really mean? It's like all comes down to us and our team um, building product and tech to really identify the best opportunities in the market for investors to buy. Um, and then when it comes to the financing piece, we actually come in and invest um, preferred equity into um, our customers' deals so that they don't have to bring as much upfront capital um, to the acquisition as you know, you normally would, um, allowing them to scale their portfolios much faster. Um, and then we actually stay on and help uh, oversee the operations and management of the asset until our customers are able to either refinance us out of the deal or buy us out of the deal. And they own the property and its cash flows 100%. Gotcha. Well, you said find, manage, and invest. So let's start with find. How do you help your yeah. investors find properties and talk us through like specifically what is your buy box that you're looking for when you're finding these deals? It's a great question. So we've built a ton of tech on the end product to actually automatically underwrite all the opportunities in a market um, and essentially like stack rank what we think the best investment opportunities are. And then we have a system where it essentially like the automatic Underwriting happens. We then have a human in the loop that's verifying. Um, it's a big thing that I stress a lot is like, no system is good enough right now um, to catch everything, especially when it comes to these distributed real estate properties. Um, and then from there, we're able to essentially feature these opportunities to, to our customers um, in terms of like, hey, this is a great investment opportunity. Here are the numbers. Here's what we would, how much we could invest alongside of you. Um, 
so that it's a unique you know way to buy into a property that you wouldn't be able to do anywhere else or at a price point you wouldn't be able to do anywhere else gotcha are there specific markets you're looking at like columbus new york miami nashville <laughs> yeah so we are really focused on you know strong rental markets um where the purchase price of the property is still relatively on the affordable scale um for us the gross yield so total revenue over purchase price is like a key metric that we that we always come back to um with that right now i'd say the majority of opportunities are popping up in the midwest um and then parts of parts of the southeast sunbelt so a lot of investor markets there's no like reinventing the wheel there um but that's where we're predominantly focused a lot of people like get on the phone and be like yeah, I own a few properties in California. Like I'm hoping to expand there. I'm like, probably not going to be able yeah. to help you. You'll because... fall out of our algorithm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like we don't even look at California um, just because it doesn't, it doesn't make sense right now. So. Yeah. Now I, um, I might be reaching here, but I saw you graduated from Carnegie Mellon. So I'm assuming you're a super engineer in training. <laughs> How are you, are you scraping data from the MLS? Or are you scraping data from off source listing? Like I, we might have a little bit more of a technical audience here. I would love to kind of hear a little bit of the sauce behind that. Yeah, so we've gotten um, access to specific data feeds, um, you know, MLS feeds, things like that, that are able, we're able to pull um, live listings. Um, and then one thing we're really focused on building out as well as like working with a lot of um, you know real estate folks that might be doing like fix and flip and things like that and getting their inventory before it hits the market. So trying to source more um, off market deals and going like direct to from the seller or builder or so forth. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, you made a comment about human in the loop. Um, every time I turn on the TV, log on in to Instagram, LinkedIn, anything out there, all I hear about is AI is dominating this mm -hmm. world. Humans are irrelevant, yada, yada, yada. I personally don't believe that. Um, I believe that since the invention of ATM machines, we now have more bankers than we did before the ATM machine as a good yeah. example of how machines supplement what humans do. But I've heard you say that on a couple of different podcasts. What does human in the loop mean for you? And how do you see it fitting into not only your process, but maybe the world in general? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I make such a point of it. Um, specifically during this period, like time after the kind of the fall of Zillow's iBuying program. Um, and we often get asked that a lot from investors of like, how are you different? Like if you're gonna go out and uh, like build all this tech around underwriting, you know, how do you avoid the what happened to Zillow? Um, and so that is a piece where, you know, they relied so heavily on their tech and their systems that they just got in over over their skis in terms of you know not catching things that a human would like oh wow this property is right next to a train track i wonder how that impacts the the <laughs> value or oh interesting the neighbors happen to have three you know junk cars outside in their front yard that haven't been moved in 25 years like that impacts your value, but the system can't catch that. Um, 
And so there's pieces like that where I don't, I think we're very, very, very far away from AI being able to do a hundred percent of what a human can do and, and using like some, some pretty specific reasoning. And it's more so it's like looking for these kind of outlier cases that are going to impact the value of a property um, that don't fit within the perfect like systems algorithm, if that makes sense. Um, so for us, that's like a big, a big, you know, check of how do we use, you know, our system, you know, eventually artificial intelligence to get a better stack ranking so that we're using our time more effectively. Um, but we'll forever keep that human in the loop. At least I shouldn't say forever for now. We'll keep that human in the loop process to avoid any major mistakes. Yeah, I don't want to bash on Zillow too much, but I, I think you're absolutely right that when people outside this industry approach real estate, they always want to think about how do they throw software at a problem and use some of the technical advances we've seen to get get more efficiencies out of real estate. The problem is real estate is not a market. It is several markets with inside of a bigger market. And so to your point around a train track, a car out front in a neighbor's yard, or even something like when you walk a house and you're, you walk in, you see a room doesn't quite fit. I don't think an algorithm is ever going to catch at this point. So I think having a human in the loop is the best way to say, where do we allocate our limited human time and capital appropriated to the highest resulting, yielding resulting activities? hundred percent. Very well said. Um, all right, so we talked about finding, let's go through managing. So from my understanding, you all do some of the operations on the back end. How do you help investors manage a property after they've made this acquisition? Yeah, so we stay on as the asset manager on the properties in our portfolio. And what I really mean by that is we are in charge of overseeing that property's performance. Like we've underwritten it, we want it to, you know, achieve or succeed uh, what we what our expectations are. So with that, we will go out, source, hire um, you know, top caliber folks on the ground to actually do our boots on the ground management. Um, we do all of the accounting, performance reporting, um, in our case as well, like tax preparation, because we are buying properties in an entity um, with multiple investors. So there's there's a higher back office burden than I think most investors expect. Um, and so all of that kind of back office functionality, making things work, um, we oversee and, and take on. Gotcha. So when you say boots on the ground, are those property managers or those contractors? What does that look like? So either, right? So it could be contractor, handy, uh, handyman, um, or you know, in some instances, we will bring in a full-on property manager in a local market, um, but vetted through us, we're managing their performance. If we start to see issues, um, we'll go in and replace and, and find the best folks to take care of the property within that you know local area. Gotcha. All right, so that's finding, that's managing. Let's talk about financing. I think this is probably the most interesting thing about your company and your solution that I've yeah. seen so far, but talk to us a little bit about the investing piece. How do you help investors? Yeah, so we will come, you know, deals that qualify for our product, we will come in to the down payment portion um, of the opportunity. And that allows our 
customers, you know, to increase their purchasing power, potentially scale more. That is like the, you know, common feedback I get from someone new on the phone is like, oh, amazing. I was going to buy one property this year. Now I can buy two. Um, and, you know, for our customer set, that's the biggest thing they're going after is, is building this portfolio um, for future retirement or future to give to your kids or pay for college or things like that. Um, and so we'll come in part of the down payment structures as preferred equity. Um, we view our relationship on like a five year time horizon. Um, and the goal is that, you know, the property appreciates in that period. Um, our customer could potentially at the end of the five years do a refinancing event and pull some equity out, pay out our principal and, and essentially buy us out of the deal. Um, and then from there on out, it's 100% their property. Um, and we can either stay on and continue to help manage or they can bring in other management or self-manage. So how do you all structure that? Is it like interest only payments? Is there an amortization schedule on the five year? When you talk about this five year partnership, how is that structured? Yeah, so we structured as a preferred current rate. So very much an interest only payment on the principal. Um, and, you know, the principal amount is determined. It's it's deal specific. Um, so how much we're able to come into a deal comes down really to the property and the characteristics of the property and what we believe um, the rents will be in the cash flow. Um, and so from there that we'll say like, hey, we can we can come in for, you know, 50% of the down payment or sometimes it's 30. So it really just does depend at the property level. Gotcha. So you don't do the standard. We're going to take the rest. If you put 5% down, we're going to take the rest of the 20% to get you to 25. It really is deal dependent on, will we take half of that? Will we take 30% of that, et cetera? Yep. So every deal basically ends up, you know, we'll cap it as like, well, you know, I would say the minimum um, a customer could put in is that 5%. Um, but in some instances that won't, it doesn't make sense for the deal. And we never want, to set up a situation where, you know, we don't believe the property is going to be producing enough cash flow for our customers. So in those cases, we'll say, hey, like this doesn't qualify for the 5% down, but we could do um, 10% or 8%. It just really depends on on the opportunity set. Gotcha. And then how do you determine the interest rate that you would charge? Is that based off of prime, LIBOR, or I guess um, different metrics? What does that look like? Yeah, so right now it's based on uh, our investors' pool of capital and, and where they would like to, what they would like to achieve, and where the risk reward is. Um, so for us, that's the thing: is we're sourcing capital sources on the back end, um, and then you know offering essentially that to our customer base. And for us, the the actual interest piece isn't really a revenue center at all. So we like to at this point, like, you know, with rates being so high, just in the market in general, um, we are, you know, really moving stuff at cost. I find what you're talking about, like very, very interesting. And what I love about what you all are doing is bridging a gap of somebody that wants to get involved in larger properties, but doesn't know how to get involved with them. They can't find the deal. 
operating a 10 unit apartment complex is completely different than operating a one unit apartment, uh, single family home. I know that from yeah. a lot of experience. Um, yeah. and then ultimately grabbing debt on four units and above starts to become a commercial debt line, which if you've never gone down that rat rabbit hole and that track is completely different as well. So I like what you all are doing here. Talk us through why would an investor not go this route? Like what, what, what reasons yeah. would they just source externally? I mean, what am I missing here? Yeah, I think if you have the liquidity um, and you're willing to park all of it into specific deals and what I'm starting to see too is like leverage amounts are going down from, from the senior piece. So, you know, if you want to put 30% of capital in, into the deal and have it sit there, and that's okay and that's part of your strategy all day long do that um i think for us it's we're really really working with folks that are trying to optimize and grow as fast as possible um so that they can just have it you know in 10 years like they have this portfolio of 10 to 20 doors and that is kind of their nest egg for the rest of their life and to pass down to their family and so forth. Um, so I, that's the biggest trade-off. It's just like, where do you want to put your capital and, and how long do you want to have it tied up for? Yeah. I almost see this as like little bitty call options on properties. So what I'm going to do is yeah, exactly. spread that's a great 5% yeah. down payment. I, for instance, I personally like Columbus, Ohio as a market. Intel's moving that's there. Great. It's a state capital, which a bunch of state capitals are building up right now new hospitals. There's a lot of reasons yeah. why Columbus is a great market. And what I've seen there is they're completely undersupplied because the population has boomed. So if I wanted to say, hey, I believe in that market, but I want to diversify my risk, I'm going to go put little down payments, get a getaway to come in and be a, a capital partner, a deal sourcing partner, a management partner, and help them, like help me take on that risk along the way. And then ultimately yeah. in five years, if it appreciates, then I can refi all of them out and own those properties. Is that is that kind of how you're thinking about it? That's spot on. Um, and the other interesting part for our, our customer segment too is, is folks view, oh, I'll have liquidity from other properties that even, you know, even in a downside scenario, like this one didn't appreciate it, you know, 5% a year, 4% you know, or whatever it, it was needed. Um, I have these other projects that I know will be able to help me, you know, pay for this and that. So it, it really becomes like, how am I building my empire? Um, is really the question and, and problem we're helping folks solve. You had me at building my empire. Um, <laughs> so I think the only piece that I'm a little unclear on is this management piece. So um, one of the things that I learned early on in my single family journey was getting a call from a property manager at 10 p.m. at night, toilets overrunning flood, we got to figure out this issue, et cetera, et cetera. How does that process work? Let's just add a little bit of clarity on that. Do they call you all? Do they call us, me as the investor? How does that work? Yeah. So it you know, depending on how involved the investor wants to be, um, we, we are capable, we have the capability in our setup to handle all of that. We do have folks that are like, no, I am more hands-on because that's just my style. And we've yep. figured out ways to incorporate them into that process. It's like, great, if you want to get an 11 PM call, be my guest. <laughs> um, but we can take on that burden for, all of our customers um, and be that first line of defense. So it really becomes more of a passive 
um, investment investment for folks. Gotcha. Is there different pricing tiers for if you all handle all the management versus if I get my hands dirty on some of the investment? So as of right now, um, it is the same price across the board. Um, we are we. It's about two percent of principal invested annually. Got it. Got it. Okay. Cool. What did we not talk about that um, I should have asked? Ooh, that's such a good question. Um, you know, the biggest thing that I think comes up a lot is like, how do you know what types of products do we use on the senior debt piece? How does um, how does our structure work from like a back end perspective? Um, and so for us, we are partnering with, you know, a lot of private commercial lenders that are doing like a DSCR product. That's been kind of the most successful. Um, and we are, you know, with that, we're purchasing the properties in a, in an entity that we're both, you know, us getaway and our investor are members of. Um, it keeps it really clean in terms of at the buyout point in time, we just exit any ownership in that entity. And then there's no title transfer or anything like that. Um, so it's, it's clean in that sense. Um, but yeah, I think beyond that, we've covered a lot. I don't know. Is anything sparking for you? I've got one, but I just yeah. don't want to skip over the fact that you have relationships with these private capital providers already established they know what you're trying to accomplish. So there's yeah. not a ton of questions, all those sorts of things. Like I don't want a listener to breeze over how much of a pain that really is to it establish is so bad. and the value you bring there. Because even closing on my personal home, which I did in March, I sent a gigabyte worth of data over to a mortgage lender because I've got different businesses, different entities, yeah. non-traditional assets. It just looks funky. So I, I don't want to breeze over the fact that that is a huge value add. And it's, yes, it's, <laughs> this whole world is, and when you get into the non-QM space, like unlike your, your personal property where it's like, okay, you forgot to fit in the box, like make, make your weird businesses work in our box. This is, you know, the lenders each have their own unique box because they have investor groups that are different, that are defining those. So somebody may lend in New York somebody may or may not do a rural designation property somebody has this you know this kind of requirement this kind of requirement so we literally have a map of all of the groups that are, uh, we can work with and have run it down um by a lot of them of like our product they know who we are um so yeah we can bring a lot of help and advice um when it comes to that um, separately, I will pay you money for that map because that, that alone <laughs> is super valuable right there. Um, the, the one question that came up to my mind is like, do you have a portal where if I make an investment where co-investments on these properties that I could go in and track like the KPIs, the yeah. reportings, all that kind of stuff? What does that look like? Yeah. So we have um, in-house reporting, investor portal. Um, you know, it's both on the acquisition side as we're doing search and discovery and underwriting um, our customers can submit opportunities they're seeing. They can see featured deals all within that investor portal. And then once you know you, we do an acquisition, everything lives within our system and our app, basically, um, in terms of the reporting and and accounting and all that fun stuff. 
which again, I don't want to underscore how valuable that is in my single family portfolio that I still have today. Some of my property managers have a great portal and they do a good job with reporting and things like that. And some of them are like, here's a text of your last 12 months of uh, rent roll (laughs) figured out from here. Yeah. Might as well send it in a message in a bottle. That's how useful that is. Yeah, exactly. You like forward that to your accountant. Sorry. Yep. Yep. Um, Before we get into the last round or five toppings, one question for you is where does this journey end for you? Obviously you all are young in your journey. You've got an interesting market solution for what a lot of investors need who are trying to scale beyond the couple single family homes, but might not want to go raise and syndication capital like we do and things like that. What, what, what does the next five to 10 years look like for you all? Yeah, for us, so at the end of the day, we really want to build a completely vertically integrated solution for real estate investors. So everything, you know, from search and discovery all the way through transaction to ongoing management living in one platform. And so just continuing to build those capabilities um, is our goal. And there's so many different services that you touch along one real estate transaction that there's a lot for us to tackle. Um, so we really want, you know, first and foremost, we're getting this like finding and financing piece down pat as then we'll start to add more and more. Um, and then beyond that, I think that there's an opportunity, um, to really build more and more financial products. Um, you think about the investor, you know, individual investor space. I, I think it's kind of the left behind (laughs) space in terms of real estate financing. Um, there's a million programs in the world for your primary there's a million different ways to put a deal together you know in commercial real estate you know kind of just like one or two steps above our customer base but this group is just kind of left behind so we we feel really strongly that we can continue to layer in different unique property um, excuse me products um, that help more and more folks become investors and then scale their portfolios that's it. I, I I think you hit the nail right on the head. If you're trying to buy your first property, I can give you a list of 10,000 Instagram channels to go follow and you'll be able to get there. If you're trying to get into large commercial real estate, um, it's still creative. There's still a lot of moving pieces. It's very, very complicated, but it's been done before. What hasn't been figured out is I want to buy a couple 10 unit apartment complexes and hold them for my wealth strategy long term. How do I go find those deals, put together yeah. the capital, and then ultimately, I don't want to manage them day to day like I'm a property manager. How do I figure out a system around that? And it sounds like you guys have, uh, you all have put together an investment in a box solution around that. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, Ali, I want to transfer transition now to the last round. We call this the five toppings. Our first topping is what is your favorite book or what is a book you've read recently that's given you a paradigm shift? Oh gosh. Okay. So I'm, I'm into the business books right now. Um, so the mom test is a great okay. one for anyone who's starting a new business um, and has to do a lot of customer development, user interviews, research. Um, it changed my life. <laughs> so I highly recommend everyone reading the mom test. Um, another good one that I'm working through right now is getting to yes. Um, it is, you know, more about about sales and the how to negotiate and persuade. Um, but that's another, you know, interesting one where I'm like, ah, oh, 
this is actually so useful. Like you read a chapter and you're like, huh, I can see what I was doing wrong. So those are two good ones. I'll have to check out the mob test. Um, cause the I, mom I don't test. think I've heard 10 that. out of 10 recommend. Got it. Got it. Our second one is I believe that the person you become 10 years from now is directly correlated to the habits that you have and the things you do every day. What are some of the things you do every day? Oh gosh. Uh, besides work. <laughs> um, so I am a little bit of a workaholic, I will say that, but things that I do every day, I make a big point to take my dog out. Obviously you have to take your dog out, but like we go for a nice walk and kind of get grounded in the morning and kind of closing out at night as well. Um, we've made, I say we, my partner and I have made a big effort of like, you know, we pause working at a certain time, cook dinner and like spend that hour together. Um, because I think anybody who's in the startup space or building their own business knows it's really easy to get sucked in every hour of the day. And there's your to-do list is so long. It's never ending, but like you always have something to keep doing. Um, so just taking, being very cognizant, um, of that and taking time for us and, and making sure that we're fostering, you know, our relationship and things like that. That is the best answer out of 150 shows that I've done so far. Oh, wow. My so partner nice. and I have that time in the morning because to your point, I could sit in this room all day and not yeah. get half of the things that I have on my checklist or my mental brain done. So yeah. I think that is extremely important for long-term relationship success. So that, I think that's, that's probably the best answer we've heard so far. Oh, that makes me so happy. <laughs> Our third one is, um, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? <laughs> this sounds so corny, but honestly, like, don't give up. Um, I think, you know, when it comes to starting your own business too, there's so many days where you're going to doubt yourself. You're going to doubt what you're doing. You're going to say, oh, the grass is so much greener over there. Why am I doing this? Um, but really being resilient and not, not giving up, um, you know, it, the rewards from what you'll learn, even if you fail, are so much better than than not trying. So that's my advice. Love that's it. my advice to anyone listening. That's the best advice I've gotten. <laughs> Love it. Our fourth one is, what are you most proud of in your life? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, it's kind of lame to say starting a company, right? Uh, but I would say, like, getting getting to this point, I don't think... Uh, I don't think I ever thought that I could, you know, go out and start a company, raise venture capital dollars to do so. Um, and so I'm, I'm pretty proud of where we are. We have a long ways to go. We are very much, like you said, at the beginning of our journey. Um, but I also have to recognize and celebrate like how far we've already made. So give myself that one i love it our fifth and last one is if you could sit down and eat a bowl of ice cream with anyone dead or alive who would it be and why i joke that this is so corny but i would choose my grandma who passed away a few years ago but she was my best friend and my biggest role model and i miss her every day so any chance to spend more time with her i'd pick her I am so jealous you had a relationship with her because I uh, never knew any of my grandparents. My Aww. oldest one died when I was, I think, three or four. And so I remember okay. being in the funeral home, but that's about it. 
And so that is super special to have a um, uh, relationship with what we, the kids call their grandparents, Gigi. So. Oh, awesome. I love that. Well, Allie, fantastic conversation. If our listeners wanted to reach out to you or learn more about Getaway, where is the best place we could point them? Yes, definitely check us out at getaway.co. So just .co. Um, and then feel free to always shoot me an email. It's just ali at getaway.co or add me on LinkedIn under Allie Nichols. Perfect. I will link all those in the show notes. And then Allie, thanks for coming on. Thank you so much, Matt. This is really fun. Thank you for listening to Ice Cream with Investors. If you like what we serve you here, it would mean the world to me if you would like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app.